So last week we began our studies in prayer, on prayer, looking at Paul's sixth chapter to the church in Ephesus, and we titled that study, War of the Worlds. Tonight, the Triangle of Prayer. At a time of particular crisis in the lives of my family and I, actually some 12 years ago now when my wife Deb was rushed into hospital and subsequently diagnosed with chronic renal failure. We were the beneficiaries of the prayers of God's people without us knowing it. It was not until a few months later when exchanging notes with a Christian friend during a Skype call did we realize that at the exact hour of our great need, our Christian friend, though geographically thousands of miles away, was awakened from his sleep and prompted by the Holy Spirit to get out of his bed and to pray for Deb and I and the girls and the family. Though at that time he did not know why he was praying. He just knew that he had to intercede on our behalf. And friends, I can tell you, we remain eternally grateful for his obedience to the Holy Spirit. When I learned of my friend's intercession, his prayers on our behalf, I couldn't help but think Of what Jesus said to Peter in the upper room the night that he was betrayed. Remember having told Peter that Satan was going to sift him as wheat. He said in Luke 22 verse 32. But I have prayed for thee, Peter. (laughs) But I have prayed for thee, Peter. That your faith might not fail thee. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I'm so glad Jesus didn't say, Peter, if you return back to me, as though the outcome were uncertain. No, you see, Jesus had prayed for him and was therefore able to say, when you return back. The intercession of Christ, it seems to me, prevented the failure of Peter's faith. The intercession of Christ, it seems to me, opened the way for Peter's recovery. Though his love failed him, though his courage failed him, his faith did not fail him. Why? Because Jesus had interceded for him. And on that fateful night, twelve and a half years ago, almost now, there in that hospital in the University Hospital of Wales, though our love failed us, 
Though our courage failed us, though many questions hung over us, all manner of ambiguity was invading us, our faith did not fail. Because my brother, prompted by the Holy Spirit, prayed. And as he prayed, he entered into a triangle of prayer. We are never more like Christ than when we're praying for others. You realize that? Intercession is laying down our life for our friend. It is bearing one another's burdens. It is sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Brothers, sisters, the work of intercession, of redemption rather, is the work of intercession. Jesus is interceding. The Holy Spirit is interceding. And we are to intercede. Last week, as I said, we looked at where the real battle in prayer is fought. By focusing upon the Apostle Paul's so-called warfare passage in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul closes his passage on spiritual warfare in verses 18 and 19 with a plea. A plea for intercessory prayer. He says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. With all kinds of prayers and requests. Always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also, he says, for me. How wonderful it is, friends, that God in Christ has made you and I as Christians members of a royal priesthood with the privilege and the responsibility to pray on behalf of others. Which ought to drive us to ask, as the disciples asked of Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus taught the disciples, and my friends, Jesus will teach us also if we ask him. Is that the question on your heart? You're not sure how, but Lord, teach me to pray. And he will. Jesus answered the disciples' request first with the model prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer or family prayer. And he then went on to teach them a parable. The parable of the friend at midnight. The parable is a powerful illustration of intercession involving three parties. Intercession, again, again, I say, friends, is a triangle of prayer. One person going to another person to get bread for a third person. Three thoughts, very quickly. The clock is still not fixed. When are you going to get the clock fixed? Hey, I wasn't mourning a while ago. Now I'm mourning, look. Three thoughts. Notice from this... Extraordinary parable, easily overlooked, that intercession is bold praying, daring, 
bold, audacious. These are the only adjectives that rightly describe intercessory praying. The situation in the story called for boldness, did it not? For the hour was inconvenient. We read in verse 5, it was midnight. The circumstances equally were inconvenient. We read in verse 7, that my children are with me in bed. Now it was common in those days for whole families to sleep together. Not only for warmth, but also because of lack of space. The typical one-room dwelling would contain one large mat upon which the entire family would huddle together and sleep, usually along with some farm animals. Imagine that. I still remember those frustrating occasions when my daughters were babies and they simply refused to go to sleep. And we would sing to them and we would hum to them and we would rock them for an hour or more. And we would even sing Rock of Ages, Cleft for Thee. But they simply would refuse to go to sleep. You mothers, you fathers, you've been there. You know. And finally, when eventually they, they nodded off to sleep, ding dong, the doorbell rings. But the barely sleeping baby notice doesn't dissuade this midnight caller. He bangs on the door and he keeps on banging until the lights come on in the neighbors' houses and until the dogs begin to bark. Daring, boldness. Friends, all the intercessors in the Bible had these, didn't they? Daring, boldness. Abraham, remember, interceded for Sodom, godless Sodom. And in Genesis 18, we read in verses 23, verse 25, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Gosh, he's really taking God to task, isn't he? He goes on, Far be it from you, God. To do such a thing. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? You know, every time I read Abraham's prayer to God, I have the urge to remind Abraham exactly who it was he's talking to. That's daring praying. What did God do? God answered his prayer. Moses interceded for a stiff-necked people in Exodus 32. He cried to God, Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. For those of you with time tonight, maybe in your own private devotions, this is a fascinating account that's worth closer inspection. You'll notice there in Exodus chapter 32 that God calls the Israelites Moses' people. But Moses calls the Israelites God's people. 
Fascinating. You look it up yourself. (laughs) The result of Moses' bold intercession, well, we read in verse 14, the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. God answered prayer. Just think of it, friends. One man, one woman, wielding the weapon of intercession can save an entire nation. And God knows our nation needs salvation. Intercession is bold praying. The situation was inconvenient. But he kept on banging at the door. He was bold. Am I getting on your nerves? Because if I am, I'm getting the point across. Secondly, intercession is stubborn praying. The most critical part of the story in Luke chapter 11 is perhaps verse 8. Where Jesus says, by way of explanation, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him bread because he is his friend, yet, because of the man's boldness, equally, you could translate that word persistence, because of the man's persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Fascinating. The word translated friend there in the original Greek text is a strong word. And actually, if I was going to interpret it, I wouldn't use the word friend. It's a stronger word of endearment. Perhaps one who would love someone like a brother, if not actual uh, biological sibling. That's the strength of the word. Because he, he won't get up because he's, he, he, he's one he loves like a brother. That's the strength of the word. So if this man, whose heart is as shut as his door, won't give in to brotherly love, what will he give in to? Persistence. If he won't give in to brotherly love, and I'd like to think that you would give in to brotherly love, but if he won't give in to brotherly love, what will he give in to? Persistence. The word in the old King James is importunity. (laughs) The word is a strong word here. It communicates someone who will keep on banging at the door in a literally shameless way. I don't know about you, but I would be rather embarrassed. Wouldn't you? It's midnight. My friend, whom I love as a brother, is in bed with his family. How embarrassing. To knock him up and and ask for a few loaves of bread. What's being communicated here is that this man is shameless in his persistence. 
Wow. He is stubbornly, shamelessly persistent. In fact, says Stanley Banks, he had gall. Evidently, Jesus considered this shameless stubbornness as an advantage in praying. Because he emphasizes it again in another parable. In Luke 18, 1 through 8, the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. The judge, with no fear of God, it seems, with no regard for man, refused to help a widow who came seeking justice. It's an unbelievable scenario, isn't it? A widow! How could anyone refuse to help a widow? But that's the point. Although there was no pity in the judge, there was importunity in the widow. And we read in, in verses 4 through 5 of Luke 18, even though the judge says, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. Huh? Because this widow keeps bothering me. It's a fascinating interpretation of the text. The text actually means because this widow keeps hitting me in the eye. Now, I'm sure it's metaphoric. I don't think she literally was because she get, could get locked up. But you get the idea. For the judge, it was like this woman was bothering him in such a manner, it was like being poked in the eye all the time. And eventually, you poke somebody in the eye all the time. Then you'll get a response. <laughs> the response of the judge was to give her mercy. What's being communicated? Well, friends, intercession is stubborn praying. It's persistent praying. It's shameless praying. It's knocking and keep knocking and keep knocking. Until you get the answer. Thirdly, intercession is desperate praying. Only desperate men and women, propelled by, I guess, a sense of urgency, truly intercede. Praying often is good, but it's scratching the surface. Only desperate men and women, propelled by a sense of urgency, truly intercede. Those of us who are at ease in Zion will never man the ramparts of intercession to repel the enemy. The indifferent Christian will not be found amongst the watchmen set upon the walls who never hold their peace day and night in their crying unto God. Friends, battles are not won by the nonchalant. And even if a nonchalant person should try to intercede, they will soon be sidetracked into what they would consider to be a more practical endeavor. What praying they might do is probably going to be neutralized by their half-heartedness. 
A cry of desperation resounds throughout the Bible when the Bible prays. It would have been arguably easy to convince a casual host to wait for a more practical hour to go banging on his neighbor's door. You see, friends, unconcern always finds an excuse, doesn't it? Deep concern always finds a way. Only desperate people take desperate actions and prevail. Vance Havner, that New Testament scholar, says the problem is that the situation is desperate, but we, the church, are not. Who would argue with that? We look around the world within which we live. We analyze our own circumstances in life. And we have to acknowledge the situation is desperate. More often than not, friends, it's beyond ourselves. But we have not because we ask not. We ask not because we're not desperate enough. Our inescapable responsibility, I believe, should make us desperate. But our inadequate resources should also make us desperate. Listen to the plaintive words of the host. A friend of mine is on a journey. And he's come to me. And I have nothing to set before him. That's desperate. Can I contemporize that for you? If we were to perhaps echo the words of the host here in this parable for ourselves and our situations, we might say, Lord, my neighbor is lost and dying of cancer and I have nothing to set before him. Lord, I have a teenage daughter facing severe temptation and I have nothing to set before her. Lord, the man I work with, his home is breaking up and I have nothing to set before him. Who is sufficient for these things? Well, we none of us are. Who is sufficient for the extremity of our circumstance in ourselves? Well, we none of us are. So out of sheer desperation, what do we do? We flee to the one who alone, who alone can answer prayer. And meet our need. Desperate. My dear friends. If the church does not learn to knock boldly at the father's door. Her magnificent sanctuaries. Will become empty bread boxes. And starving travelers. Finding no bread at their doors will turn away from the choreographed worship, beautiful though it might seem, their stomachs still empty and their bellies still aching. If a man gets hungry enough, then he'll eat bread from a dustbin. And you can be sure, dear friends, that when people walk away from the Christian church because it didn't feed them with the bread that they needed, then the, the devil himself will be waiting just outside the doors to feed them the rubbish that he calls bread. 
I will never forget the time a deacon in my first church in Hesham in North Lancashire prayed for me before a Sunday worship service. And he prayed thus, Father, if you don't bless the pastor today, the people will go away hungry. And friends, I can still hear the urgency in his voice. Which leads us to the final point of our parable. You'll be glad to know. The final point is, when we pray thus boldly, when we pray thus stubbornly, when we pray thus desperately, there's an inevitability of God's reward in answer to prayer. Hallelujah. Verse 8, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Isn't that wonderful? You're going to claim that for yourself tonight? Well, you please yourselves, but I am. When we pray boldly, when we pray stubbornly and desperately, the, the promise is that God will give us as much as we need. Not always what we want, granted. There's a lot of thing, lots of things that I want. Nice new Mercedes Benz would be nice. I want one. A nice new Ducati 960. I want one. And I can pray thus until the Lord comes. And I ain't going to get one because I don't need one. But the one who is in heaven who knows my need, he will answer and give me everything that I need. Need. Hallelujah. The inference is, he'll give me what I need, even though I'm not conscious of the need. Isn't that something? You think you know what you need. Arguably you do. Equally, perhaps you don't. But God will give you what you need. My friends, our God is a great God. And He delights to answer prayer. What's your need? Well, if you pray boldly and stubbornly and desperately, our God has promised to give you all that you need. And when you enter into that beautiful triangle of prayer, it's a holy call. It's a high call. It is, my friends, arguably the, the best thing that we can do this side of glory is to intercede on behalf of others. We enter a triangle. We pray to the one who answers to provide need, bread for those in need. You see, how precious is that? I don't believe there's anything comparable to it. This side of heaven. But to stand in the triangle of prayer. And intercede. On behalf of others. And as we do. We are more like Christ. Than we ever will be. This side of glory. What a joy it is. 
to enter into his presence boldly, stubbornly, desperately.